Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. On October 27th, 2018, a gunman entered the Tree of Synagogue, the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, and killed 11 people and seven people were injured. On March 13th, 2019, a gunman entered two mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand, and 50 people were killed in the two mosques. Of course, these are not the only incidents where individuals have entered places of worship to slaughter and murder the worshipers. On January 29th, 2017, a gunman entered a mosque in Quebec City. Six people were killed and 19 injured. On June 17th, 2015, a gunman entered Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina, and killed nine people and three were wounded. Mass massacres are not unusual. They have been part of the world's history since time immemorial. But what is new in the 21st century is the phenomenon of individuals walking into houses of worship and slaughtering people. Of course, the worshipers in the midst of worship are innocent and the murderer has brought with them a strange ideology of hatred. Ideologies of hatred are not new. In fact, recently the Jewish community observed and celebrated the festival, the holiday of uh, Purim. In the book of Purim, which is included in the Hebrew Scriptures, the story tells us of the Jews living in Persia and an advisor to the king by the name of Haman acts as an um, anti-Semitic uh, murderer and convinces the king of Persia to promulgate a uh, order to slaughter all the Jews of Persia. What is very amazing is that the word Haman, which appears 45 times in the book of Esther, also appears in the Muslim text known as the Quran. Haman is perceived to be a cruel, xenophobic advisor of the Egyptian pharaoh. The same name that appears and that is central to the Jewish holiday of Purim appears in the Quran six times. Each time it refers neither to a particular event, um, but rather to 
the Quran's uh, identification of a cruel character who seeks to protect corrupt governments by causing strife and divisiveness among their oppressed people. In Egypt, according to the Quran, Haman plotted with Pharaoh to kill Jewish babies and keep the divine Pharaoh in power. I quote, We Allah wanted to bestow favor on those Jews who were oppressed in the land and to grant them power in the land and make Pharaoh and Haman and their hosts see what they had feared. Then Pharaoh's household picked Moses up from the water that he may be their adversary and be a cause of sorrow to them. Surely Pharaoh and Haman and their hosts erred, says the Quran. So the Jews and the Muslims are not the only people who see that there are racist enemies in the world and have been for millennium. Egypt and Persia are not the only places where such terrible events have been plotted. And Jews were not the only people to be vilified, oppressed, and exiled and massacred. So Haman, the name, is ever connected to the first case of arrogant rulers who sacrifice people through their own pride. And one could easily suggest that this is not ancient history. Today, there are many anti-Semitic and Islamophobic political leaders and want-to-be leaders using slander and fear to cause sorrow and pain for all kinds of minorities. The Quran is correct when it uses an archetypal, cruel, and xenophobic character named Haman to teach us the never-ending truths about the dangerous plans of hate-spewing political leaders. Indeed, if you read the slanderous accusations of Haman in the book of Esther, and that with the slander that he makes accusations against the Jews of Persia, you will see similarities to today's Hamans and similarities to the writings of those who have perpetuated mass murders against religious worshipers. So this is a quote from the book of, Ex- of, of Esther. Then Haman said to King Xerxes, there is a certain people dispersed among the people of all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all other peoples, and they do not obey the king's laws. They obey God's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to be tolerant of them. Certainly, those words spoken nearly 2,500 years ago by Haman in the book of Esther should resonate with all people of faith as they look at the events of the past month and years. With me this morning to speak about these events is a member of the Muslim community of Anawa. Aisha Shirazi is a pastoral care worker in the Ottawa Carlton Public School Board. She works as a volunteer at uh, Maryvale High School. She is a local writer and educator within the secular system and in the Muslim school system in Ottawa, Canada. Good morning, Aisha. Good morning. I want to begin our conversation this morning 
Um, speaking about your high school students at Maryvale High, mm -hmm. and I'm wondering how they responded to the events at the mosque in Christchurch, New Zealand, in as much as you go in as a representative of um, both the high school, the Board of Education, and as the Muslim community. So what's been mm -hmm. the response in this secular high school? Um, honestly, I, I haven't really touched on it. The, the things that I do here, I tend to deal with individual cases and situations where students may be having a hard time. And so um, certainly I'm sure on Monday there were probably quite a few questions, but now I think things are sort of petering off and kids are amazing in that they are very resilient and um, they move on very quickly. This is why we see in war zones, you'll find that, you know, plane, war planes are flying overhead, but kids are still out playing soccer. And um, I, I suspect that kids don't all, some kids may not have processed what has happened completely. Some kids may have processed it better. But I, you know, I strongly suspect that um, the vast majority of Muslim kids certainly are, are feeling the pinch. Um, and uh, probably kids from the Jewish community, too, because that, you know, it just the, it resonates very strongly with them in terms of, uh, you know, what. Uh, sure. What, I mean, what, events in Pittsburgh at the Tree right. of Life Synagogue are only um, a few months away in October. Right. In your own community, in your own mm -hmm. mosque, um, have, how have people responded uh, both to the tragedy and to the uncertainty that it uh, promulgates in their own sense of security? Mm-hmm. So initially, I know that, um, you know, some, for example, schools had hired security guards and had, uh, you know, just, just tried to be cautious. I think that was more to give people that sense of, you know, something is being done in the very least. Um, a lot of the mosques already have security cameras and so on. But, you know, the reality is that in order for worshippers to effectively worship, you have to have this doors open policy. You know, you can't open a whole house of worship and then um, have it sort of that, you know, uh, the doors are locked and people can't access that service and that sanctuary. Um, so that is tricky. Um, and so where do you draw the line? Um, there are various discussions taking place about what measures can we take, but I think most of the imams in the city have taken the approach of, you know, let's not let this change us, and if it's going to change us, let this improve us. Um, when events like this occur um, far away, Mm -hmm. uh, whether they're shootings in synagogues in Israel, which are mm -hmm. somewhat different than shootings on the West Bank, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. um, shootings in the Quebec mosque in 2017, mm -hmm. or shootings in New Zealand, or synagogues mm -hmm. in Pittsburgh, or even churches in Charleston, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. um, how do you, as an educator, um, explain to children why it appears that people of faith 
are mm-hmm. being uh, singled out by uh, individuals with a somewhat different mindset. Because mm. um, that seems to be the great challenge. Why are people of faith being singled out now um, mm-hmm. in ways that um, shock us all? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, I try not to put it down to that level. What I try to do with kids is to help them understand that, you know, um, there are conflicts in the world and people have committed atrocities in our name. And so in order to break that down to them, I try to make it so that there's a lesson that we can learn from this, you know, regardless of our background. So, for example, with my students, I said to them that this individual by, you know, because kids want to know why, why, what, what, you know, what caused him to do this. And we all want to know that. And I said that um, he was, you know, he, by all accounts, he accessed information online and learned um, uh, things online. Um, And there is a lesson in that, in that kids today, you know, a lot of information is available online, but can you really trust everything that you read online? And so maybe we need to remain Um, you know, in touch with our community and our leaders and scholars that that we trust and value in order to really get the right kinds of information and teaching. This was one of the things that I told kids because I said, we're all vulnerable to this, right? We're not exempt from that. And that was important for me to tell young people because we are all vulnerable to that. The other thing that I also said was, that, you know, ignorance, the root of the word ignorance is to ignore. And so although he had access to all kinds of information and developed this hatred over time against the other, whether that other is you, whether that other is me, whether that other is his neighbor that looks Chinese, you know, it really doesn't matter. His, his fears were of the other. And he chose to ignore all the positive things that are also available online about the different communities that he's targeted, right? And so, um, you know, in order for kids to understand that, the root of ignorance is really ignoring what's in front of you. And so from a faith perspective, I'm reminded that, you know, it is God that guides us. And so we turn to him when times are good and turn to him when times are bad because the real truth is that we have very little control over things in terms of whether we can guide people. We can only do our best to show people that, you know, the best of ourselves. Ultimately, if people are going to ignore that, then that burden is upon them and them alone. So do you find that um, this very thoughtful approach... Um, resonates with your students, or do the events um, create an emotional insecurity that even uh, a wise teacher such as yourself has difficulty uh, breaking through to their insecurities? Mm. I think that, you know, we're already experiencing, I know the Jewish community experiences this, I know the Christian community experiences this, and we're also experiencing it in the Muslim community, where kids, young people in public spaces, are less comfortable, perhaps, um, expressing faith, 
okay? And that is something that troubles me because, you know, faith is a part of who you are. It's a part of your, your makeup. And if you, you know, feel the need to hide it or be somebody else, then you're not the whole you. You're not able to bring the best of yourself to the table. And that is something that I think, you know, we need to work on um, is, you know, modeling, for example, the work that we do in in spiritual care for secondary schools is, is so important because it models interfaith cooperation. That's how you and I know each other. Right. That's how you and I became friends. And this is these projects are so important for that reason because they model interfaith cooperation and cohesion and model how we can still be ourselves but bring the best of our ta- ourselves to the table and, and enrich our lives through that. So, so you've suggested, and I hope our listeners have heard this, that the best response to these tragedies is to educate people that um, differences do not have to separate us, but that differences um, are really an opportunity to see uh, people with different strengths mm-hmm. um, and with different perspectives, um, mm-hmm. and that differences don't have to be threatening to people. Absolutely not. Now, I know that you work with Rabbi Bloom of the Ottawa Torah Center. Mm-hmm. Um, to in schools to do just that. And so I'm wondering if we could follow that up mm-hmm. with you sharing with the listeners, um, some of whom are in Canada, but some of whom are in the United States and elsewhere, mm-hmm. um, a bit about the programs that you and Rabbi Bloom of the Ottawa Torah Center do together. Yeah, so it, it's fabulous. Um, Rabbi Bloom and I have been doing um, workshops and presentations and schools in the public school system for a few years now, I think going back as, as early as 2006. Um, and we, we basically go into schools, we warn schools that we're going to be nonverbal when we come in um, and we don't want them to tell the students who we are. So we come in... So perhaps we, we should... Um since it's radio and people can't mm-hmm. see you, mm-hmm. we should say that both you and Rabbi Bloom dress as um, traditional adherents to your to your faith. That's right. So, I mean, I may we- dress in Western clothes, but I, I wear a hijab. And so, um, you know, and Rabbi Bloom um, may dress in a suit, um, but he does wear the kippah, and has a has a beard, and uh, you know um, he is 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 a rabbi. Uh, and, you and, know, and, and, and most of the time, Rabbi Bloom wears a black suit. That's right. Right. Yes. It's rare yes. to see him true, true, in true. a suit true. of color. Yes. Yes. Very much so. And so we go in, and one of us will hold up a sign that says, "Who am I?" And the other person will hold up, uh, will will sort of scribe the responses from the audience. Um, and so, you know, in uh, the questions that we pose are, you know, who am I? Um, what? Where am I from? What languages do I speak? And um, uh, uh, um, what is my faith? And so we both take turns in holding up these signs and uh, writing down the responses. Um, 
And, uh, you know, it's incredible. So I end up being a Muslim woman from the Middle East who speaks Arabic. And he ends up inevitably being a Jewish man from Israel who speaks Hebrew. And, of course, when he opens up and starts talking to the students in his beautiful Parisian French, they're quite blown away uh, because he was born and raised in Paris. And then when I address the audience, they're completely in shock because they see that I'm British because um, I was born and raised in the UK with Indian parents. And so what we really do, the heart of what we do is to get kids to recognize that, that we all have sort of biases and create stereotypes in our minds based on what we're exposed to but that really what we try to get kids to do is learn to get to know people and don't judge them just based on the superficial things that you find out about them. Because what happens is that they really, those opinions that we have forge how we treat each other. And fundamentally what we need to do is be more open to ideas that are different to us. And again, we model that through our friendship because they're not used to seeing a Jew and a Muslim, you know, it sounds a bit like a joke, a, a rabbi and a Muslim woman walk into a bar, but we have a very good friendship. And so that's important for them to see too, because they never get to see that. Right. And and in many ways, your um, choice of Rabbi Bloom, who looks um, different than other rabbis, mm-hmm. um, and you who look uh, in appearance, um, to be uh, different than some other practitioners and faith, uh, faithful Muslims. Mm-hmm. Um, in many ways, your program uh, may be more uh, important than armed guards at the front of a mosque or Absolutely. at, at Absolutely. front of a synagogue yeah. because you're about uh, preventative actions. That's right. Um, and often if the armed guard has to intervene, it's too late. That's right. Yeah. And, and so, you know, we do different things. Um, we, we put up photos and we invite kids to sort of make judgments and say, well, is this person rich or poor? Um, is this person educated or non-educated? And it really is incredible to see some of the discussions and the shift in thinking as kids go from realizing that they're falling into this trap again and again and that they need to take this step back. Um, and it's very powerful. We do it uh, as volunteers, but it's a very powerful experience for kids um, because, you know, they not only get to sort of learn uh, that about themselves, but, you know, they pass that on. So this year we had a group from a rural community in Osgood, and we went there in the fall, um, and then they invited us back because the grade 12 students said that it was so empowering that they wanted to share it with the new students that would be coming to them in the fall, um, you know, and, and that was really fascinating. Now, there's only one Rabbi Bloom and there's only one <laughs> Aisha, and so yeah. you can't um, realistically be in every class in no. the Ottawa Carlton School Board district. No. No. Um, do you have some sense of how the uh, faith communities can interact with each other 
um, positively and successfully, mm -hmm. not only in response to the tragedies that we talked about earlier, but mm -hmm. in terms of our ongoing uh, living together mm -hmm. in peace and harmony, acknowledging that we have different religious perspectives and we have different mm -hmm. notions mm -hmm. of the divine and we have different responses mm -hmm. to world events. We but but are there ways awe. that you there's think that we could have ongoing interactions that yeah. would begin to break down um, mm -hmm. the barriers that have existed in some cases for millennial? Oh, I, I think we have far more in common. You've cited the differences. I think there's far more in common than there are differences. I think that's the real, that's how I fundamentally feel. Um, and, and that's a humanity position, but it's tr fundamentally true. We all hurt, we all, we all um, starve, we all suffer in different ways if, if put in, in situations. So, you know, one of the fundamental things that we could do together is charitable work. It's one of the fundamental tenets of all our faiths. And um, it certainly, certainly, it, there's no reason why we couldn't do charitable work together, and we do. So we see some initiatives, for example, in Ottawa, the multi-housing, um, you know, right. multi the multi-faith housing. housing initiative, which brings uh, faith groups together to build homes and to care for homes for uh, low-income families. Um, there has been some work through the Shepherds of Good Hope, which was a nominally Christian group in which Muslim and Jews and other Christian groups have served meals and have done programs for the homeless and um, recovering uh, alcoholics and drug addicts. Um, and so you suggest, as I think we all understand, that the um, response to these tragedies is not simply uh, one of anger, although anger is part of our response. And it's not just grieving, although grief is part of our response. And it's not just a call for uh, political change with regard to um, control of guns and um, weapons of mass destruction in that sense. Uh, anytime you kill 50 people, it's a weapon of mass destruction. Um, but it's a challenge um, to people of faith to move beyond the pews of their individual houses of worship and to find ongoing opportunities for reaching out. Yes, um, absolutely. That, that's my takeaway from this is, you know, what can we do together um, that we agree on that helps you know, the community that we live in become a better place to live. And I think that once we, you know, strengthen our ties in those areas, just like Rabbi Bloom and I do, and that's what we say to people is, you know, we're, we're stronger together than we are individually. Apart. And, uh, so, and, and it is possible, as you suggest, to uh, forget our historical... Um, angst in our historical absolutely uh, and 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 also not only to forget but you know to put them to one side it doesn't mean that you have to forget you know you we are all of different backgrounds and with different experiences you you don't necessarily forget if you have a personal connection to something sure 
But you can put it to one side for the greater good and say this is really important. I, I want to thank you for joining me this morning. At this moment, I want to thank Ayesha Shirazi, an educator and writer in Ottawa, Canada, for joining me. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. You can hear this broadcast as a podcast on iTunes or on the website of CHRI Station. For all of us who've spoken with you this morning, I want to wish you a good day. Shalom. Shalom.